Today's text comes from Psalm 103, verses 6 through 17. And the word of the Lord says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses and His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. Nor does He deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children. The Word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You can all be seated. I want to thank again, I want to thank Clarence Big C for being here this morning uh, and for our musicians for what they offer us every week. And and I especially this morning, uh, I think today was one of those days when almost everything that could go wrong with technology in a church went wrong. And um, uh, Johnny was a big help today. Daniel was a big help in that. But especially Brittany, who spent uh, about an hour and a half making sure everything was set and and ready to go for this morning in terms of technology. So we appreciate all of your contributions this morning to making this a a great worship service. Uh, We're approaching the end of a series of sermons on the attributes of God, these characteristics of God that make Him uniquely who He is. And in Psalm 139, we covered the idea that God is omniscient, He's all-knowing, He's omnipresent, He's everywhere all the time, He's omnipotent, He's all-powerful, He's able to do whatever He wants to do, He's holy, He's completely pure and righteous, and He does the right thing every time, And today, in this beautiful psalm, uh, Psalm 103, we're considering another attribute of God. God is merciful. We started our discussion about this last week. And I think in order to effectively travel this road that we're going to go down today, to understand what mercy is really all about, there's a few concepts that I think we need to consider kind of a road map to keep in the back of our minds as we make our way down this path talking about mercy today. And there's a few things that I want you to kind of be thinking about as we go through today's sermon. The first is this, and that is God is a God of justice. And what justice is, simply put, is God gives us what we deserve. God is a God of justice. Also, God is a God of mercy. And mercy is this, God withholds what we deserve. He withholds the punishment that we deserve for our sins, and He's also a God of grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Now, here's where we come to full circle to the point that our belief system becomes this thing called Christianity. God is a God of justice, so sin 
All wrongdoings must be punished. And we're all sinners, every single one of us. R.C. Sproul had someone approach him with this statement once. He said, I have a brother who doesn't believe in sin. And Sproul responded this way. He said, steal his wallet. So if somebody comes to you and they say they don't believe that there's any such thing as sin, steal their wallet and see how they feel about that then. Maybe not do that. At least don't say you're your pastor at Carlton Baptist so you to do that. So we live kind of in this anything goes kind of world today. And a lot of people like to think that they're really good people as long as we don't really hurt anyone. As long as we don't hurt anyone, then any type of behavior or lifestyle or activity is okay. There's really no such thing as sin. But facts are facts. Some things just are not all right. Some things, according to Scripture, are sin. And sin is real, whether we're comfortable calling something sin or not. So some behavior, some things we do, deserve to be punished. Because God is a God of justice. But God is also a God of mercy. So he withholds the punishment that we deserve. And finally, God is a God of grace. He gives us this incredible gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus takes the punishment for us. He dies so that we can live. He absorbs the wrath of God so that we don't have to fear God's judgment anymore, but instead we can enjoy Him forever. Just this past week, there was a singer named Marty Sampson who is a singer and a writer for Hillsong United, which is one of the most successful contemporary Christian recording groups ever. And he came out this past week saying that his faith was on incredibly shaky ground. And one of the reasons he said this was, he summed it up like this. He said, how can God be love yet send four billion people to hell? All because they don't believe. No one talks about it, is what he writes. Now, I'm not sure why Marty Sampson's church doesn't talk about that. Because theologians and pastors have talked about this for about 2,000 years. So I want our church to completely understand these ideas of justice and mercy and grace so that our faith is deeply rooted and won't fade away because of cultural trends or because you've had some kind of shallow teaching in the past. Let's be perfectly clear. God is a God of justice. So sin, everything from stealing the wallet to murder to lying to gossip to child abuse, all of it deserves punishment. And every one of us is a sinner. So if God sends every one of us to hell, he is completely justified in doing so because we completely deserve it. But Samson argued, Marty Samson argued that if God is a God of love, how could he send people to hell? God demonstrates in love, His love in that He ex- exposes us and offers us mercy. Instead of getting what we deserve, He extends grace to us 
so that we can enjoy eternity in heaven instead. It's a free gift. All that's required is to trust in the love of Jesus. I don't know if God could be any more merciful. I don't know if he could be any more gracious. I don't know if he could be any more loving. Everything that he demands of us, he provides for us in the form of Jesus on the cross. So how is God a loving God if people go to hell? Romans 5 says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for the people that go to church every Sunday. He didn't die for just the Baptists. He didn't die for the people that get Sunday school pins. He died for sinners, real sinners, not sinners in in theory, but sinners in fact. And I'm going to tell you, our churches today are full of people who are sinners in theory. Because if you go up to them and you ask them, Man, are you a sinner? They say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. Saved by grace. Praise God. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. I love you in the Lord. But then if you ask them, hey, man, tell me a sin you've committed in the past week or the past month or the past year. There's a lot of people that honestly would not be able to think of a single thing they've done wrong. Not one single thing. I've told this story before about my first paying youth pastor job, 25 bucks a week. I was there and we had a revival. And they had this revival speaker come in. And uh, he, he was a guy who was in his late 60s. And, and uh, he carried around a notebook with the names of everybody uh, who had ever been saved at any of his revivals. And he liked to show that to people. And, um, and he came in and he gave his testimony the first night. And he talked about when he was nine years old, how he was, uh, grew up in, in Atlanta. And he said Jimmy Carter Boulevard was actually a dirt road. And it wasn't Jimmy Carter Boulevard back then. It was called something else. And, uh, and, and uh, he and his friends were standing on this overpass overlooking the highway underneath. And he said there was a concrete block laying on the side of the overpass. So he picked it up and they waited. And this dump truck came down the highway and they dropped this concrete block onto the dump truck and it went through the windshield and the truck crashed. And unfortunately, there was a police car coming down the road, coming down the dirt road there, and it saw him do it and pulled over and arrested him. And he said his dad carried him to a tent revival that night. And he said that night, he said, I walked the aisle and I turned my back on sin and I haven't sinned since. And I thought, Lord... I'm fixing to get out of this building because lightning's about to hit somebody. Because you just lied. But there's a lot of people who would tell you stuff like that. They're sinners in theory, but not in fact. And I'm going to tell you, if you're just a sinner in theory, you'll only have a Savior in theory. If you can't acknowledge that you are a sinner, if you can't acknowledge that you have a need for Jesus, then you won't have Jesus. Tim Keller wrote that in order to be saved, all you need is need. But the world says, 
if God's a God of love, He wouldn't be so exclusionary. It's not fair. And I get it. I live in a house with a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, and two little girls. And I pretty frequently hear the statement, that's not fair. And it's usually when one receives some punishment that they don't like, while the other might get some lesser punishment for hitting second instead of first or may not be punished at all. We're a culture that loves to say, that's not fair. And if you don't believe me, what you ought to do is just get, paint yourself up a sign and go to the UGA campus on the first day of classes. I don't know when class starts, next week? Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Go on the first day of classes carrying this sign. And on this sign, let it say, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Or, or let it say, um, uh, there's only one right way to vote. Or let it say, uh, vegans are ridiculous and gassy because they eat too many sprouts and they ought to eat steak every day. And in a matter of seconds, I guarantee you, if you just strap that sign across your chest and you walk onto the North Campus at UGA, somebody's going to get triggered. I mean, they're going to fall apart because of this suggestion of exclusivity. It'll fill them with outrage and they'll be wailing and moaning and gnashing of teeth. If you're exclusive in any belief in this world, you're going to hear the cry, that's not fair. So I'm going to tell you something. And I want you to grasp this fully with everything in your being. If you're asleep, look at your neighbor. If they're asleep right now, wake them up. And I'm going to tell you this, and this is the truth, and I want you to walk out of here remembering it today. Here it is. Are you ready? Are you ready? God is not fair. He's not fair. He's a God of justice, and sin must be punished, and that's fair. I think we can all agree on that. If somebody does something wrong, they should be punished for it. But he's also a God of mercy. And he withholds punishment from people who trust in his love. Now that's not fair. That's not fair. Because I could commit the same sin that Lisa commits. And if she trusts in Jesus and I don't, then I get punishment and she doesn't. That's not fair. God's not fair. He's not God is gracious. He gives us Jesus to take the punishment for our sins. And we get heaven as a reward. That's not fair either. So let's get this simple fact straight. God is not fair. He's not. But John MacArthur said, We don't want fair from God. We don't want to get what we really deserve. What we want is mercy. God is a God of love, not because He sends a portion of humanity to hell, but because He shows mercy and doesn't send every single one of us to hell. God shows His love by acting fully in justice and fully in mercy and 
fully in grace. So we have to respond to people who are triggered by the exclusivity of Christianity the way Jude prescribed in the book of Jude. He said, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. But you, build yourselves up in your holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit to keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of Jesus that leads to eternal life. And it says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. If we're in Christ, We've received this tremendous gift of mercy. So we have to let our cups run over and show mercy to other people. So if you ever have this creeping feeling that God isn't fair because some people go to hell and some people go to heaven, you're right, He's not fair. What's not fair is that any of us get to go to heaven at all. What's not fair is that God even bothers to extend mercy to any of us. In today's text from Psalm 103, we saw some signs of mercy. And we talked about a couple of them last week. God shows mercy by caring for those who are under pressure. We talked about the people of Israel and how they were enslaved by the Egyptians. And how the Egyptians were just choked to death by this pressure from the Egyptians lording over them. But God showed them mercy and He saved them. And then we talked about how God shows mercy by giving it to people who don't deserve mercy. That's one of the defining characteristics of mercy. Mercy is something we don't deserve. We don't deserve. And then today, when we get to verse 10, we see that God shows mercy by not giving us what we deserve. Psalm 103.10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. In Genesis chapter 4, we see this kind of soap opera played out, this kind of living drama between these two brothers named Cain and Abel. And in their story, we come face to face with the depravity of mankind. Abel is a good kid, and he does the right thing. Cain is his jealous brother. He's his sibling that despises the other brother because he is so good. It's kind of like Kyle and Casey over here. I'm not going to say which one's Cain and which one's Abel. I think we all know that. But eventually, Cain has this selfish, jealous contempt that boils over inside of him, and he commits the first murder in the history of mankind. Abel is dead, and Cain is guilty. And there's an eyewitness. God sees it all. And he warns Cain. He says in Genesis 4, 7, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. He's saying, Cain, don't get consumed with all this. You've got to get a hold of your emotions or you're going to do something you regret. But the advice isn't listened to, and Cain brutally murders Abel. And God punishes Cain. He sends him away and makes him a wanderer, not having a home or a land to call his own. Now, if God were a God that was fair, 
there would be more to this than that. Because, you know, we've got that thing, that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life thing, right? Cain deserved a death sentence. But God lets him live, but he goes beyond that. He not only extends him mercy, but he gives him a gift. He gives him grace. And he says in Genesis 4.15, If anyone kills Cain, if anyone lays a hand on Cain, vengeance shall be taken on that person sevenfold. Cain deserves death. God shows him mercy and lets him live. Cain deserves to be murdered just like his brother was murdered. But God gives him grace and protects him. Cain is an example of radical depravity. He was full of envy and hate and murder. He didn't deserve mercy. He deserved justice. And so do we. But God shows us mercy. We're ungrateful for our health. God keeps putting breath in our bodies. When we're ungrateful for the food we have, God keeps keeping the grocery stores open, and He keeps La Perea open, and He makes sure that we have something to eat. When we love our distractions and our pleasure and our entertainment and our money more than we love God, He keeps on loving us. When we fail morally over and over again, God keeps forgiving us. When we disappoint ourselves and others in Him, He still calls us His children. When we chase after our sins as hard as we can, God still pursues us. Mercy is not something that we could ever earn or anything that we achieve. It pursues us relentlessly. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And when we read that, we get this visual of us moving persistently away from God's love and mercy, but God actively and aggressively chasing after us. Brennan Manning wrote a book called The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus, and he described the scenario this way. He said, God doesn't wait until we have our moral life in order before he starts loving us. He loves those who need him most, who rely on him and depend on him and trust him in everything. Little does God care whether we're as pure as St. John or as sinful as the prostitute in Simon the Pharisee's house. All that matters is trust. All that matters is that we trust in His love. Verses 11 12, we see another sign of mercy. God shows mercy by forgiving our sins, by, by separating us from them forever. And the text says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, So far, He has removed our transgressions from us. The closest star to planet Earth is four light years away from us. That means that if you climb into a rocket ship and you traveled at a rate of 186,000 miles per second for the next four years, you could reach the nearest star. But our technology doesn't allow us to travel at that rate of speed. So if we took the most modern technology, the the most 
powerful proton rockets and we set off to reach the closest star to us at the fastest rate possible known to man, scientists estimate that it would take us about 81,000 years to get there. That's the travel time for the closest star to us. The farthest known star away from us, as far as our telescopes can reach, is 10 billion light years away. It's an unreachable, insurmountable distance. When the psalmist writes that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, what he's saying is that if you trust that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins on the cross, the effects of sin on your eternal disposition are completely removed. And on the day that you stand face to face with God, you won't be haunted by your failures and the troubles you caused in the past. All of it will be completely gone, completely out of sight, completely out of reach, an insurmountable distance away from you. This is the magnitude of God's mercy. His love is deeper and wider and higher and longer than any sin we could ever commit. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians 3. He said, I pray that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you be filled with the fullness of God. He's saying, I wish I had the words to adequately explain to you the vastness of how much God loves you, the incredible depth of how much He's forgiven you, the, the mercy that He's shown you, the, the distance that He's put between you and your sin. Richard Sibbs put it this way. He said, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 17. God shows mercy in giving us eternity. The text reads, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. We live in a transient world, and we're all going to die someday. We can take the best vitamins, we can do the best exercise program, and we can think really, really positive thoughts, but we're going to die someday. It's going to happen. For all of us, there's an end. Just prior to this, in, in, in the text, in verse 15... The psalmist wrote, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the psalmist goes on, and he writes, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. That one word, that but, gives us this contrast between the temporary lives we live here on earth and the eternal hope we have in Jesus. I'm going to tell you, at 52, I worry about dying a lot more than I did at 42, a heck of a lot more than I did at 32, and at 22, I don't think the thought ever crossed my mind. 
But today, I worry a lot. I worry all the time about what will happen to Brittany and the girls if something happens to me. But the fact is, though, any fortune that I can leave them can't compare to the treasure of faith that I have the opportunity to pass on to them. God gives us mercy so we can pass on the stories about His righteousness to our children and our children's children. And finally, we'll close with this. God shows mercy by giving us Himself. Back to John MacArthur. John MacArthur wrote, Is God unfair in not choosing to save everyone? He wrote, Fair would send everyone to hell. You don't want fair. You want mercy. The cross of Jesus Christ is all about God's mercy. And it answers one of the ultimate questions of faith. How can a holy God be reconciled to unholy people? To sinners like you and me. And at the cross we see a God of justice punishing sin. We see a God of mercy pouring out the punishment for eons of sin, not on us sinners, but on His Son. When we look at the cross, we see that God is a God of grace. We see the gift of Jesus bearing the sentence, bearing the weight of punishment that sinners like you and I deserve. Now, at the cross, we see a portrait of the worst criminal you can imagine standing and receiving the guilty verdict from his judge. And the bailiff comes forward and loosens his chains in front of everybody and applies them to the hands and feet of Jesus and walks Jesus out of the courtroom to take the prescribed punishment for the sins of the criminal. At the cross, the sinless one, bears the sins of the sinner. Jesus served the complete sentence of God's just wrath that I deserve. This is the mercy of the cross, the sinless one serving the sentence of the sinner. In the cross, we see God's justice, we see God's mercy, and we see God's grace. Let me tell you something. We don't need God to be fair. We need a rescuer. We need somebody to save us from ourselves. Mercy is Christ on the cross looking down and seeing the most despicable acts that man could ever commit the darkest and dirtiest parts of our souls. And instead of saying, I'm going to punish you for that, He has compassion and mercy. And He says, I'll take care of that for you. Johnny Erickson Tata wrote, God like a father doesn't just give advice. He gives Himself. 
He becomes the husband to the grieving widow. He becomes the comforter to the barren woman. He becomes the father of the orphans. He becomes the bridegroom to the single person. He becomes the healer to the sick. He becomes the wonderful counselor to the confused and the, the depressed. This is what you do when someone you love is in anguish. You respond to the plea of their heart by giving them your heart. This is what God did because he loved us so much. He responded to our cries for help. He responded to what we needed most from the bottom of our hearts by giving us his heart. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. It's what God showed us with the gift of Christ on the cross. Being rich in mercy, He didn't give us what we deserved. Instead, He gave us Himself. I don't want you to ever think that there are sinners so bad that God's mercy can't reach them. Never make the mistake of believing there are hopeless cases. Ray Pritchard wrote, Are you weak? So am I. Are you needy? So am I. Are you guilty? So am I. Are you frail? So am I. Are you like dust? So am I. And he went on and wrote, And God says to us, His weak, needy, guilty, frail, dusty children, I know you through and through, and I love you anyway. Come to me. Rest in me. Make me your rock. God's mercy in Christ is more than enough for all of us. Amen.